Hello and welcome to the Collective Wisdom Podcast, the podcast that explores how to be a wiser version of yourself. This is a podcast that helps you to tap into your own inner wisdom and find the answers within you for how to live your best life. I'm your host, Kat Preston. I'm a certified life coach and I help people to turn down the noise in their heads and tune into the wisdom in their hearts. Every week, I'll be asking my guests to tell their stories about what they've learned along the way and share some of their wisdom with us. I'm so thrilled you can join us. This episode of Collective Wisdom is brought to you by Choose Love, a global aid initiative who work with refugees across the globe, but who are asking you for support with their efforts to help local agencies on the Ukrainian borders to get the desperately needed humanitarian aid, food, medical supplies and safe passage to temporary homes that is so needed at the moment. I've set up a fundraising page and I'm asking if you could donate five pounds and then ask five beautiful friends to do the same. Together we can spread a ripple of love across the world and show the people of Ukraine just how much we care, just how much freedom matters and how change happens one act of simple kindness at a time. There's a link in the show notes to the fund. We've already raised over £2,000 one small gesture at a time. That's incredible. And I really appreciate you for being part of it. Thank you. Hey there, my wise friends. Thanks so much for joining me for episode 55 of Collective Wisdom. With us this week is my friend Sue Hetherington, who together with her husband Steve run the waterside from a small valley in Wales. I have Steve to thank for teaching me so much about the craft of podcasting in the Akimbo podcasting workshop that he coaches. Sue's life, meanwhile, took on a new direction when during an enforced period of quiet reflection while she was recovering from breast cancer, she coined the phrase quiet disruptor. It describes her own philosophy and approach to life. And what followed was a manifesto which acts as a call to action for those wanting to find their voice and make a contribution, but without shouting. Just quietly getting on with creatively finding solutions to some of the big problems the world is facing at the moment. That manifesto has since gone on to spurn a book of the same name, which encourages you to become the change you want to see, quietly. Before we get into the conversation with Sue, here's Steve reading the original manifesto for Quiet Disruptors. Manifesto for Quiet Disruptors Because it's time to change the conversation for good. Have you noticed? We're shifting from one era to the next. From the modern industrial age with linear and predictable answers to a complex, interconnected and volatile world where what we do affects who others become and impacts our whole environment without us fully realizing it. We need different voices, people with fresh things to say who don't need to shout. Not just superheroes with confident gestures, nor the loud, always-on culture with quick answers, 
that offer attractive sticking plasters yet fail to see what comes next or why we are doing it anyway. But the thoughtful and creative changemakers who look from the edge and craft their responses, who want to make a difference, differently. Not just for today. Because more of the same won't do. So now is our time to shift the conversation by becoming the change we want to see. Owning our voice, finding the others, and having the courage to speak softly about things that matter. Because only people make change. And change emerges with those who have the courage to be different. Who think before they speak. Who ask questions we'd sometimes rather not face. Who create solutions we hadn't expected. Who see more from the edge than the centre and make connections that surprise us. Who are driven to make a difference but want to do it differently, with grace. Who get their energy from calm reflection, beautiful ideas and taking the long view. Who exercise kindness, generosity and stubborn courage in pursuing a different way of looking, being and doing that can turn our world upside down for the better. It's time for the new changemakers. The quiet disruptors with the courage to speak softly about things that matter. Joining me today, I have the pleasure of the company of Sue Hetherington. Sue offers fresh insight from the quiet edge and believes that words shape our reality. She's a writer, poet, and host of regenerative conversations from the waterside and based in a beautiful little valley in Southwest Wales. Sue coined the phrase quiet disruptor in 2018 when trying to make sense of her life and work at a particularly challenging time. To that point, her journey had spanned a wide-ranging career in pioneering roles across several sectors, including a decade as an NHS chief executive, while also being a long-time carer. Her book, Quiet Disruptors, Creating Change Without Shouting, was published in January 2021 and has impacted many people across the globe. Because as she says, we need different voices, people with fresh things to say, who don't need to shout. Her daily blog combines words of inspiration, provocation and encouragement with a beautiful photograph from her home in the valley, which she shares with her husband, learning disabled brother and a herd of alpacas. So Sue, a warm, warm welcome to the podcast. The first question that I must ask is how the alpacas came into your life? <laughs> That's a brilliant question. Just lovely. Um, well, we moved to this place, which is an extraordinary place. It, once upon a time, it was a Victorian reservoir, um, helping to wow. really address the quite major public health challenges in Swansea in the sort of 1860s, 1870s, where there was 
cholera was rife and you know fresh water was really needed and this place was built as quite a substantial reservoir um, and made a huge impact on the on the public health in Swansea um, but by the time we came here it wasn't a reservoir there wasn't even a dam wall and a lot of the infrastructure of the reservoir was buried underground so wow. we basically bought a 40 acre valley with a house in it um, also a lake that was being used as a fishing lake at the time. And we tried to work out what was a good way of using the land. <laughs> and thought, well, okay, well, let's let's have some log cabins. Let's have some, let's have some guest accommodation. And Steve, who was at because of his long-term chronic illness um, was based at home and was looking after my mum, elderly mum and my learning disabled brother who lived with us while I was out being chief exec of healthcare in Swansea. Um, so we went that started going down the route of let's have log cabins. It's a beautiful place. It would, you know, Makes sense. it would yeah. do good. Until I had this dawning realization. Um, my job was a really big job, you know, responsible for the health care of a quarter of a million people, a budget of 300 million and, oh, a lot of complexities. And I would come home and help look after and take care of my mum and my learning disabled brother. And I suddenly thought, I can't do all of this and be on call for guests. That's a full-time role. Yeah. That's just, yeah. So, so we scotched that idea and started looking around. And because my background is so varied, so I, I grew up on a farm. Um, my first degree is in overseas, is international development with a specialism in rural development. My master's is in agricultural economics and my research was some of the very early research in the UK on farm diversification before it became fashionable. Wow. So I, you know, I was quite grounded in land use, um, even though I'd ended up running healthcare. Um, and, but Steve was a townie. So, you know, he wasn't used to living in the countryside at all. So we were looking at what, how might we use this land? And the alpacas came about because because this had been a reservoir, it meant that it wasn't normal farmland. And if you think about what happens when you put 130 million gallons, you know, into a valley, everything gets washed away. So we needed something that wasn't going to be heavy on, on the ground. So it wasn't going to damage the ground more than it had been. In fact, it was going to regenerate the ground. And also we needed, so you couldn't have heavy animals. Um, but also, we didn't want to have animals that ended up on a plate. Oh, so, gosh. How so, yeah. so we, we actually started alpacas really, you know, in, in early, the early stage of alpacas in Wales. Wow. Um, back in 2008, we had our first starter herd. So, gosh. yeah. Yeah. And they are amazing. And they love it here. So... Because it is not traditional farmland and it is quite hilly and loads of trees and paths and they love the lakeside, um, it means they're in their element. Yeah, I love the way you've brought all of this knowledge that you kind of just accumulated anyway, and then it ends up being so poignant in your life. I mean, that's amazing. Well, in fact, even more so because um, when... 
Steve, my husband, started learning about podcasting, he needed to have a podcast himself to develop. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so he decided to do a podcast call, um, called Alpaca Tribe. And three and a half years later, he is still the only alpaca podcast in the world. That uh, firstly doesn't surprise me, but no, no, I honestly, I think in terms of niching down and talking about what matters to you and what's Absolutely. kind of important to you, which I think is always a golden rule with, with anything podcasting and you know, any sort of broadcasting like this. Well, it's, it's, so really interesting. it's really interesting because, because actually I think, I think both listeners and readers and people who are looking at at films and visual products they don't want more of the same mm, they actually want they actually want something that almost you're the only one who could do that yeah and yeah. there is there is a courage that i think is a particular call to creatives which is to dig deep into the what is it what's the perspective that you've got that has been shaped by your whole life that actually meets a real need out there Mm. don't don't try to be just like somebody else You've and got it some, does become something, something that then you're associated with and you can't I love this idea that you can't possibly know I mean you said three and a half years later he's still doing it it could yeah. have been you know one season in he he sort of looks back and thinks well maybe there isn't a demand for people talking about alpacas <laughs> but actually that hasn't turned out to be the case at all you know, no. uh, and, and what it's done for him too is to really unleash his storytelling. So mm. again, there's something about starting to explore mediums and then discovering you've got an, there's another layer of things that it enables you to express. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, when I, and when I think about your your life, it's been that it's been oh. that un unfolding, hasn't it? Yeah, you just you just well, respond to things you. You start something without knowing where it's going to end up. You step into the unknown and go, oh, this might not work, but we're going to try anyway. Oh, absolutely. And that's absolutely. where that's where the fun starts. And that that actually leads us beautifully into your work, which, you know, part of the reason you're here is because we were lucky enough to have some of your daily blogs, some of your poems appear in our book enough. And, you know, I think what comes across especially because you combine the blog with the photograph is just how much your landscape, your current landscape really influences that work. So I was just interested to hear a bit more about, again, your own work, how that came about these daily blogs and, and what, what, what sort of kicked that off for you? <laughs> okay. 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 Well, let's scroll back. Actually, let's scroll back four years ago. 2018 and 2018 an awful lot of things came came together for me but yeah. not in a great way we'd had a number of years of of challenges in terms of looking after my mother uh, i by then had left the health service um because actually i had been a quiet disruptor and wow. um, and and wouldn't play wouldn't play the games um but I didn't do it in a kind of noisy way. I didn't, you know, stamp my feet and say, I won't do this. But just, I just kept hanging on there doing what I thought was the right thing and the best thing for patients. Uh, but politically, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't acceptable. So 
Mm. After quite a little while of um, uh, of being on the receiving end of, of um, <laughs> not great stuff, um, I then left there in 2009 and then really tried to work out where am I going, what am I doing? And that, that took a variety of, of, of routes. But often they were into things that were on the leading edge because actually that's what I've often found that I do. I'm, I tend to be someone who's a bit on the outside, who's a bit on the edge of things, um, but as a consequence probably sees more and sees more widely and therefore sees things that are coming, not just the here So and a bit now. of a pioneering spirit. A real oh, I, I have always been that, you know, like, like, like in my research doing doing research on the importance of farm diversification at a point yeah. when really nobody wanted to hear that, and particularly not from a, you know, 20 something woman in a terribly male dominated world. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, that characteristic and even even within healthcare, that was such a strong characteristic because the way in which I led, um, which was always very collaborative and which was always seeing the whole piece and joining the dots together um which for numbers of people was like a breath of fresh air but for people who were very who were very vested in the status quo i was quite uncomfortable not because i was difficult or noisy but just i just didn't do it quite the way that they would and and what i was doing was having really quite profound effects but mm. you know in that sense was showing up some of the more traditional ways of behaving that really weren't very helpful and healthy the tribalism you know all of that yeah kind of stuff. yeah yeah so quite a lot of challenges having left the health service trying to work yeah, out what yeah, i was I doing imagine. then included some challenges with the alpacas with tb couple of near bankruptcies because we were really struggling with things some challenges with illness um my husband got more ill again and um my mother then became very ill and it, it was really stopping me doing any other kind of work um, yeah. which was a bit of a challenge given that I was the breadwinner anyway to cut a long story short she she died and she died in the way that she would have wanted to have died um you know so in that sense it was a good death um mm. but it was not an easy death for us because of her mental her mental state got through the funeral thought okay we can now actually start to pick things up again after you know a number of years of just struggling and really launch things at which point I got diagnosed with breast cancer. Oh my goodness, so it was a real perfect storm, gosh. Right out of the blue. And uh, that, and I had to have two rounds of surgery. I'm, I'm fine now, but I, the, the two rounds of surgery, I think just, just undid me. <laughs> you know, I'd had to be so strong for so long, holding everything together. And actually yeah. it started really unraveling. But at that time we were, I, Bernadette Jewa had was just launching the right company and I was a founder member of the right company because I knew that I was actually quite isolated and I needed I needed the connection with other people yeah. but if I gave the whole saga of where we were you never guess what's been happening to me yeah you know it's just you just feel 
you just get overwhelmed. So I was thinking, how can I introduce myself, given that this is such a complex situation, but without overwhelming people? And because I couldn't do an awful lot post-surgery, I was reading as much as I could. And I'd refreshed my connection with people like Susan Kane and her work on quiet. And some of the interesting people whose voices were just starting to come through a bit more, people to do with the do lectures, David and Claire Hyatt, and some of the voices associated with that, uh, Seth Godin and some of his work, um, some other creative threads, particularly poetry and things like that, which I was re rediscovering. And in the midst of that, I thought, Actually, do you know, I, I could just put these two words together because they sum me up quite well. I'm a quiet disruptor. So literally, Kat, mm. this was literally a placeholder. This was literally a way of me showing up and saying, hello, this is who I am, but without having to go into you know, the, the stuff which at the time just was like a too difficult to, yeah, because it's, I mean, it's difficult for people to hear it, but it's also difficult to, to go there and talk about it when you're still in the thick of it, you know, you're not through it yet. I think it was, I think it was more that I didn't want to overwhelm other people because I knew, I knew that when people did ask and they did start asking questions and, and it was layer upon you know, wave upon wave upon wave. Yeah. It just it just it just gets overwhelming. So it wasn't that I wanted to hide things. It was it was I I just knew that it was a lot, and I didn't I didn't want to it didn't want it to be a distraction. Mm. So anyway, so I started using this phrase, and I was completely unprepared for what happened. Instead of people saying, "Oh." what would you mean by that? Or I've never heard of that before. Or, <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, <laughs> you know, all of that kind of stuff. Or, bah. Um, instead of that, there was always this kind of, this pause, you know, this sort of, oh, yeah. People weren't expecting to hear those two words put together. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was always a pause, this kind of clunk, what? And then people started trying it on for size. Instead of it being people challenging me and questioning me and, you know, whatever, which was great, it was, oh, does this mean that? And in there trying it on for size, suddenly there was this insight, this revelation that actually they could make the kind of change they wanted to make but do it in a way that was, um, that fitted them well, that resonated mm-hmm. with them well, that was, that was true to who they were. It, it just opened a window to suggest that people could run business, lead business, be creative, do life in a way that, that was, <clears throat> that was courageous, you know, because this certainly isn't, this isn't a, isn't a place for the faint hearted. They could be courageous, they could dig into stuff, but also they could blossom. And step into an identity of, of, yeah, being a change maker. And I love that, you know, you, you, I mean, you actually built a whole manifesto around quite disruptive. So the way you've described it is beautiful that it, it found you in a way that you created or, or 
space was created because it sounded like you know when you were going through the challenge of looking after an elderly parent and and having difficulties with you know financially and with running the farm there's no space for anything else is there you just have to put one foot in front of the other and keep going and then suddenly there's a bit more room for okay I have just come through this incredible challenge and and then personally with my own health, who am I? Absolutely. And the really, do you know what's really interesting about this is that in one sense, it doesn't change anything, but it changes everything because it, this process of, of, of saying, actually, this is who I am. Mm actually opens up possibilities. You start seeing things that you just could not have seen otherwise. Because you go from a place where everything's, as you say, everything's closed in and it's right in front of you to suddenly you've got a window open. Yeah. And you've got an inv- you've got an invitation to step across the threshold. And this whole metaphor of, of thresholds and stepping into the new yeah. is actually, I think, a it's been really powerful for me, but I've also, as I've worked with this and talked with this and talked with others, this invitation to step out of where you are and into new possibilities is incredibly powerful. So what I did, having started using the phrase and finding this kind of response to it, um, um, oh, the other response I got was from people who do know me very well, who again did this pause because they've got to compute it, who then went, oh, yes, so that's absolutely you. That's, yeah. you know, that just sums you up, which was really affirming. So what I did once I got used to using this, you know, this, this mantle um, and, and started giving it away to others was I thought, well, you know, given that part of my background includes um, uh, organisational development, uh, people development, coaching, that kind of stuff, um, you know, the psychological stuff, um, well, may- maybe I could devise some kind of a, you know, a test, a questionnaire that means that people could, that people could, could a bit like, um, you know, other psychometrics, they could do it and then say, well, I'm a, I'm a quite disruptor. Yeah, yeah. And I started working with this and realised something really significant. And what I realised really significant was that the whole point of identifying quiet disruptors was that this wasn't a box. Mm. And people who were quiet disruptors fundamentally do not want to be boxed. They want to push through. They want to go into territory. They want to explore stuff and make connections um, that maybe haven't been made before. So pretty quickly, I gave up the idea of developing some, you know, some kind of. Well, the quiz might not have come about, which again, you know, that's a brilliant example of something that you think, oh, this needs to be. And then, okay, no, actually, that isn't what this is, how it's going to take shape. Um, But the book very quickly came came into being which is amazing well well, it didn't it was the manifesto actually the manifesto came into being because that was my alternative so if I can't create a box that helps people identify maybe I can maybe I can create um, a manifesto that in that sense enables people to 
that, that gets spoken out in such a way that people know whether it's resonating with them, yeah. but also yeah. act as advocacy. Cause I'm, you know, given my background and stuff, I've always been in a, in an advocate kind of role right from mm. when I was a kid. Mm. Um, so I wrote the manifesto for quiet disruptors and people started getting hold of that. And, and their response was, tell me more, tell me more. And then I thought, well, okay, well maybe, uh, and Bernadette by this time was going, so you need to do something with this. You need to, you need to write a book. You need to. And I thought, well, the, the way to start maybe, cause this is about exploring stuff. It's not yeah. about, Hey, I've got it all. Let's just do it. It was, how can I explore it? So I started writing. Um, I decided I would write a blog. And the interesting thing about that was there were people around me who were giving me really good advice about, you know, this is how you write a blog and, you know, to make it easy, write, you know, write five at a time and, and, and <laughs> do a bit and, of batching. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, batching and, and, and do it all, you know, and I, I intuitively knew that that wasn't how I should write this um, because this writing was as much about self-discovery and, and self-development as it was about communicating something. So you know, in that sense, if nobody read it, it's, I would still do it. Well, job done. Yeah, they read it and they read it across the world. But, and therefore I made a commitment and the commitment was I would publish every day, Monday through to Saturday. And, and the kind of format would be short pieces and then maybe a reflection at the weekend, you know, on Saturday. So I would do it every day. I would do it in real time. So it had to be something that was growing and exploring at that time. And it had to be real. So I made the commitment to myself that I would never write anything that wasn't real for me. So I will not give myself permission just to duck out and write something theoretical or write mm. something that's just informational. Um, even if it, in that sense, does convey information, actually it, it had to be, it had to come from a place of reality. The other commitment I made was that um, in terms of writing practice, that, that they would be very short pieces only essentially just one thought a day and that they would be beautifully crafted. Um, which I think which you succeeded in. Well, which is really interesting because that actually led, oh, and also they didn't have to be traditional sentences in the normal kind of sense of the word. You know, it wasn't content. It was, mm. it was space to breathe. So the whole thing about it was that it gave people space to encounter themselves in the words in the words and in the picture that they had space to even if it's just sitting down with a cup of coffee just pause and breathe enough that the inside of them connected with their outside and i think it's that element Absolutely. of provocation just a little gentle nudge towards yeah seeing something differently getting a fresh outlook is is what you bring and that and that's also meant um not trying to answer everything mm. so the way in which i write and 
the way in which I might weave in a provocation is not trying to give people the answer to that provocation, but is leaving it really open so that they discover their answer for themselves. You know, a bit mm. like when, when I started using the phrase quite disruptive, that people, it, what it did with people was gave them permission to think and to breathe and to look at themselves and say, yeah, this is, who, this is who I am. This is where I am on my journey. And actually it stirred something in me. Yeah, yeah. So I, I love it when I hear from people when they read, read the blog who just say, oh, golly, I really needed that today. Or it's a sort of, yeah, it's a, like, a, it's like a, daily, a daily fix, if you like. I mean, one example that I've got here, which was, is actually included in the book, which is just sometimes there are days. And I love even just that, you know, sometimes there are days. And what, what that means, you know, you, nothing has meaning until we give it a meaning. But that can mean, yeah, sometimes there are days that are full of elation. Sometimes there are days that are just so challenging it's untrue but you know you you conclude that with sometimes there are days when only part of us seems in focus that yeah. is enough and it's just a way of as you say taking a breath and saying perhaps today is a bit of a challenge but you've got this and you can you can work your way through it which is kind of the sort of the way you have approached that very challenging time in your life yourself yeah you know, through creativity, but also I would say how important it is that you shared that work, you know, that you, you, you mentioned that you, you needed, you saw that you needed connection. Yeah, yeah. And that's where, that's where the, the book then came in. So having written the manifesto and, and, and that having got traction, again, people saying they wanted more, um, they wanted to go deeper into this. So I started writing the book. <laughs> Oh, in 2018. And I wrote, four, I ended up writing f almost four different versions over the next three years. Wow. Because I, I, I just didn't know, I just wasn't clear enough about who, I, who the book was for, what it was I was trying to say. And one of the things that I, that I guess I've learned, and I still am learning, is that in our work, whether it's our business, whether it's our creative work, we need the courage to be clear about who it's for and who it's not for. Mm. And sometimes that really is quite a quite a, a narrow niche. But we do those people a disservice if we try to make it broader. Because it yeah, means we're not sort of we're not giving we're not giving, yeah yeah absolutely and I think I I just I went round and round the houses in this mm. um, so one of the things that I did when we when eventually I published the book in um, the beginning of 2021 it's it's a book in really in three parts um, the first part talks about why why I think that now is the time that we're starting to see these quiet disruptors emerging, because I'm clear we are seeing quiet disruptors emerging. People who are, who, who want to make a difference, but don't want to do it wearing the Superman outfit. Yeah. Don't want to do it by shouting a lot. Don't want to do it by all being about them, because actually what they care about isn't, isn't about 
their voice is actually making the difference that they want to make. Yeah. Um, and I think we are we're we're at a time in history when really clearly we're going through a really big shift from the kind of industrial modern era where things quite linear, you know, they're quite predictable, everything's hierarchical, you know, it's mm. all about command and control, mm. to postmodern, which is much more fluid, is much more emergent, and, and actually needs different capabilities, you know. Even if someone thinks they can command and control everything, the world we live in now means they can't know everything. You know, yeah. it's just yeah. not possible. And to and to recognize that we are living in a very different era that requires very different skills, that requires very different insights, that requires very different capabilities. So what I was seeing in this in this first part was recognizing that almost like now is the time when the time for quiet disruptors has come. They may not always be comfortable people to have around because they might ask questions that really we'd, we'd, we'd rather not face, or they might, they might notice things and have insights and observe where things really don't add up. Yeah. <laughs> you or, know? To, or to just challenge the status quo, you know, absolutely, is this the only way to do it. Yeah. So, so I, I'm, and what's interesting, I think there's all, there have always been quite disruptors, but what I'm seeing now is that there are, they are oh, proverbially, they're coming out of the woodwork. Mm. We're seeing, we're seeing more of them. And partly that's also because of the environment we're in, in terms of the internet, in terms of the way in which we can connect with people. You know, so for example, your podcast is is getting heard by an increasing number of people who are finding that this is a this is a really good home home place for them they associate it with it um they're sharing it with others it's spreading like like ripples absolutely now, can you imagine your podcast back in the 19 if you'd done this back in the 1980s or even the 1990s it wouldn't, it wouldn't have had the traction, would it? No, not at all. And it would be very difficult to, yeah, to... to... And, who, and who would sponsor you? Who would give you the platform? Well, yeah, probably exactly. not many. <laughs> but it. now you can have your own platform because the world's changed and it, and it doesn't depend on the powers that be saying, we pick you, you're okay. Actually, actually, this world we're in gives huge scope for people who want to make a difference to do it in their own way. So that's yeah. the first part of the book. Second part of the book identifies what, am I looking at people who you could define as being quite disruptors or who they themselves are saying, that's me, I'm one of them. Picking up what seems to be quite common characteristics that kind of make sense with people who are quite disruptors. So the first is they often appear to be people who are looking at the world with fresh eyes so they're looking differently. They're seeing things differently. They are much more curious. Mm. They are. They tend to be people who are much more um, about asking questions than just giving answers. Um, and that gets shown up in all sorts of ways. And if we think about the kind of the time that we're in at the moment, we don't need more answers because <laughs> even when we have answers, they get out of date very quickly. 
So we actually need to be ask, learning how to ask better questions. And that's quite, a, that's quite an art. So the first part of the, you know, it's, it's about asking better questions. It's about bringing more curiosity and bringing more insights into things. The second characteristic is that there is a creativity um, associated with people who are quite disruptors. And this goes back to your comment just then about, about the status quo. Because mm. I don't just mean creative in terms of they are artists um, or they're people who would think of themselves as creatives. Yeah, absolutely. They are, they are in there. But, um, but it's people who are saying the way things are, we could do it better than that. So we could do it differently. To that. Yeah, so it might yeah. be creative problem solvers. They might be joining dots that the other the other people might not be. They might be expressing things in different ways. So there is the creativity. There is a not just doing more of the same, but doing it differently. And then the third characteristic that that seemed to come out was um, often by their nature, these are people who tend to be more at the edge than, than in the centre of things. And the consequence is their perspective is wider, but they also see people more clearly. And therefore, they tend to be people who draw people together. You know, they make connections between people because they're not, they don't tend to be people who want to be right in the middle of things the center of all attention they mm. are they're really happy to be cultivating a culture of collaboration of being a bit blind to hierarchies maybe you know maybe they'll be more more likely to notice a really good idea that someone who you know you wouldn't normally ask might well be having and, and, and draw them in well often so when we ask they, people who are on the ground dealing with the problems oh, they've got they've got a, they a whole myriad of solutions oh, they that have. don't ever come to the surface otherwise they yeah. have they yeah. have especially in things like the health service you know it's kind i was going to say that that's what i really liked being in 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 the health service is that i could go anywhere and i could talk to anyone i could talk to patients i could talk to carers i could talk to porters and cleaners and oh my goodness me there were some fantastic insights yeah that we gained from there so, so just being able to listen yeah absolutely yes yeah, so you're right often People who are quite disruptors have a much greater capacity for listening mm. because it's not about talking. It's about, it's about hearing stuff and seeing stuff. So that, that's the middle section of the book. And the middle section of the book explores some of these ideas, but does it also through looking at the, the stories and examples of people, you know, some of whom are really well known and some of whom you've never heard of until you've read them in the book. Because actually that's the whole point. It's yeah, about giving, yeah, yeah. giving voice. And then the last section of the book um, is it sort of shifts more into kind of handbook phase where in thinking about not just my situation, but looking at other people and looking at things that seem to be quite important to be drawing out, I offer three things that I think are really important if people want to become the change that they want to see, mm -hmm. if they want to develop being change makers. 
Um, and the first is that actually you need to find your friends. You need to find the others. I realized that I had been so isolated for so long and I needed other people, but we need other people. It's really difficult being a, being a lone candle yeah, in, absolutely. A, in, a, absolutely. in a dark place. We need, so, you know, actually almost like the reverse of, you know, put your own oxygen on first, but, you know, find the others. You, it's really important that you find your community and you find where they are and you connect with them. The second is there's a whole set of resources um, in there, as you'd expect, focused on questions rather than on answers about, about finding your voice. Um, mm. and, and people have told me that that's been quite practical and useful for them. And then the third thing is that actually we need to, we need to find our space. And it goes back to a comment I made a bit earlier about we, we need to have the courage to be really clear about who we are seeking to serve, who we're speaking to. But that also means that we need to be really honest about finding our space, the place where we are going to thrive. Because you can't be an always-on change maker you actually need that place where you can regroup. You need that place mm. that feeds you. A bit like my, my, you know, my daily blogs. You know, there are some days when I really don't have anything to say. <laughs> so where, but I've made this commitment that I'm going to write. So, you know, where do I go when I haven't got anything to say? Well, I go several places. I, I walk out into the valley. And I don't try to come up with something. I just walk and just be at rest in the environment, breathe deeply. Um, sometimes, you know, if it's at night and I can't go out. So, you know, and I'm sitting down at my desk and I still don't have anything. And, and I just have to sit there with it and sit with the unknowing until, until uh, you know, maybe script, start scribbling some stuff until I find, and, you know, until I find a thread. Yeah. And that might be just remembering a phrase I'd heard somewhere on a podcast or something I'd read or something I'd thought and just exploring that. Sometimes we need silence. Sometimes we need uh, we need visuals. Sometimes we need words, you know. Mm. So that, that the importance of finding your space, I think is really important. And, and actually, that's that's also a principle I apply to my to my writing, both my writing in the book and my writing generally, which is I use tend to use short sentences and I tend to use very short paragraphs. And there is an awful lot of white space. And that's <laughs> that's really that is really, really deliberate because yeah. I don't want it to be about the words and how good I sound or whatever. I actually want it to be about the space for people to encounter themselves through the words. Um, and therefore, another thing, I, I don't, I tend to write very simply. Now, it isn't because I've got a tiny vocabulary. Mm. <laughs> you know, I've written academic papers. I've written, you know, I've done stuff that has needed to be, you know, I've, I've, I've been a university lecturer, for goodness sake. But actually, I don't want words to, to get in the way. I want words to be things that actually create the space, space for people to inspire their words and their creativity 
and so on. So I'm, I always just take away and take away and take away and take away. Sometimes my daily blogs might only be three sentences long. And that sometimes you know, they're much more than that, but you know, often, that's okay. often less is more and, and we can leave it at that. Yeah. And we, we, we're tempted. <laughs> I mean, the, the beautiful thing about having a daily blog must be, well, tomorrow is another day. So whatever's yeah. happened today, yeah. I get a chance to play again tomorrow, which is fantastic. Yeah. It, it stops the con- the constant dialogue with ourselves of, have I got something to say? Do I feel like doing it? Mm. Yeah, yeah. There's no decision to actually, make. I, I define no myself decision. as a. I do this every day. A daily blogger. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's that habit forming. You know, we've talked a lot on this podcast about the importance of forming structure for yes. creatives is so so huge i mean you you alluded yes. to that a little bit with the third part of your book is about finding the space to be a, a quiet disruptor you know you, you can't really do that in isolation but you also need to to know what it is that you're really addressing and how you're going to do that absolutely but i was interested to know the role of of kindness in all of this because you you clearly have spent a lot of time dedicated to other people and thinking about other people. And, you know, you live with your brother who has learning difficulties and you're a carer to your mother. Kindness is a sort of backbone for you. When you were starting to think about quiet disruptors and how does being quiet and not shouting play into that theme? That's really interesting. Can I take it from two angles? Because I guess there's two things I Mm. want to say. One is that wisdom and poetic expression have always been really important to me. And therefore, if if I look at my bookshelf, if I look at what I feed myself, it, it is often from wisdom traditions and it is often the poetic. Um, so one of the people whose work I've used a lot is, is John O'Donoghue, who is an Irish poet, philosopher, theologian, but who writes beautifully. Um, he's written a number of books and um, Anamkara was one of his kind of bestsellers. Um, but he also wrote and it was published after his really unexpected death in 2008 a book of blessings um and i have just spent i've spent lots of time in that and i share that quite a lot Mm. um and these are everyday blessings but in reading them and in using them and in sharing them it gives expression to what does kindness mean because what it does is it speaks right into the heart of people you know it sees people it hears them it 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 goes to the place where they are so one of the things um there's a an excerpt from one of his blessings that that actually i read every day and i read it to myself which is may i live this day compassionate of heart clear in word gracious in awareness courageous in thought and generous in love Mm. so that that's my aspiration but the other thing I wanted to say about kindness that I think is is actually part of the key to unlocking me discovering quiet disruptors was actually the experience I had when I was going through surgery 
for breast cancer. So if you just think about the, the whole of my context, you know, I have, I've actually been a carer for most of my life. Mm. Uh, my father was killed in a farm accident when I was a small kid. Um, you know, my lonely disabled brothers, my third sibling, second sibling. Um, uh, Steve, my husband, got sick in the mid-90s um, with a long-term illness. Uh, you know, so just I've I've just always been someone who's who's ended up looking after other people. And I have experienced acts of kindness when people have done just lovely things and I've really appreciated it. But something happened when I was diagnosed with breast cancer and you know what happens when you when you're diagnosed with breast cancer or any form of cancer you start treatment really quickly there's not there's not a lot of time mm-hmm. yeah. you don't hang around a lot and i had a choice to make and the choice i made was that i would let people care for me now that's quite difficult for me because I, you know my my muscles are really really strong in caring for other people and it's all part of your identity. Good, yeah, not good at caring for myself. Um, I have a very strong sense of responsibility. So in going through cancer treatment and in the, the, the breast care nurses, um, you know, who I was seeing very regularly and with dealing with my dressings and you know, checking out I was all right, it was the experience of kindness that they gave me that I I had never let myself be cared for that that much gosh for for actually for the whole of my life um um, so and so that was happening around the time when I was also thinking about how do I describe who I am so I, I think that I don't I don't think no I know we don't have an unlimited well reservoir of kindness we need to receive kindness if we are going to give kindness otherwise it it comes loaded yeah you know, and I've and that. I've experienced the other yeah, kind yeah, yeah. you know yeah. that's, that's really <laughs> it's actually meeting someone someone it's meeting someone's ego needs you know i am the helper around here you know yeah. and i know that because you know at times i've been or the fixer too. or yeah we we, we adopt a role that that soothes us as much as it helps yeah. the person who perhaps doesn't need the help but i love the way you put that in the context of nursing a because it allows us to really reflect on how kindness is such a part of that profession you know it oh, just absolutely. is baked into the dna of being a nurse involves a generosity of spirit yeah but it's not it's not inexhaustible you know it 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 does have to be reflected back to because lordy knows it doesn't come in the form of payment um how we reflect our thanks and our gratitude but people who show up day in day out and yeah, I can I can say the same thing. I remember being in the hospital when my 21-year-old had a very um sudden appendix, you know, it looked like it was going to mm-hmm. burst. And just the the nurse who was dealing with him, he took me to one side and he said, I, I can never guarantee, I can never guarantee when I say this, 
he's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Yeah. And just, just that 30 second interaction yeah. makes all yeah. the difference. Yeah. 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 So a lovely way to, to reflect on the people who, yeah, saw you when you needed your, when you're at your greatest need and, um, and were able to help beautiful yeah. story. So thank you for sharing that. And then, you know, music, because I, I, I think anyone who has that sense of poetry and words, so lyrics will clearly play an important part. What kind of music do you listen to just to sort of <laughs> bring you out of yourself a little bit? Yeah, it's, it's, it's lyrics and it's also the, the kind of the, the flow and the harmony. So, so actually music has played a huge role in my life, actually up until we came to Wales, which is a bit strange given that Wales is, you know, the, the land of song and my yes, Welsh heritage yes. is very strong in music. But no, I did, I, I, I did, I was, um, I was a musician, a singer, uh, a composer, a, I did a lot of music and did some, you know, quite big stuff for music. Um, all the way through my childhood, right up, right up until we came here. Um, so, you know, ah, oh, whether it's Gregorian chants or some Matthew Passion or um, you know, Brooks Violin Concerto or Elgar or, wow. you know, all of that, plus jazz. I love jazz and I particularly love some of the kind of fluidity of you know, Jan Garbrek and um, acoustic. So interesting that you're, all your reflections are not about lyrics at all. It is, it's literally the passion of the music. It's the, yeah, although yeah. as a singer, I love, I mean, I, I loved singing in small a cappella groups um, and, and also in really big choirs when, you know, when, you, when you've got 600 people who yeah. bring to a crescendo and you've just got this noise around you. It's just gorgeous, gorgeous. Yeah. So, um, but over, since we've been here for a number of reasons, music has not played the role in which it used to with us. Um, neither, neither of us have played very much. Steve's a, a drummer and I'm a, as I say, a musician, a keyboard player and so on. But there has been one song which is like a, is like a, a reel that's been playing over the last, probably the last decade actually, and which is, which is the song which when I need it, that's the place I go back to. And it's a song by a group called Gungor which you've probably never heard of, and that's okay. No, I can't say that. No, actually, I'm not and they do, and they do, and they they they, they now have a haven't formed. It's a small. It's a husband and wife thing. But they wrote a song called "Beautiful Things," um, and the lyrics of this song are just extraordinary. About you make beautiful things. You make beautiful things out of our lives. You make beautiful things out of the dust. And that sense of there is beauty and there is beauty to be found. Um, and beauty defines us. And if we will use the, the, the lenses of beauty, oh my word, what we see. Mm, Even absolutely. in some of the darkest, grubbiest, most difficult places, actually there is beauty to be found. Oh so my goodness, yes. 
Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. No, it really is beautiful. Um, I look forward to, yeah, playing their music. Hopefully I can find it on Spotify. Good, good, good. And yeah, yeah, listening to the song, that sounds stunning, actually. So thank Mm -hmm. you for sharing that one. And then to leave us with that piece of wisdom that you want to add to the Mm. collection. Yes. It's a word. A word, a single word. Well, that's just a single word. Mm. And the word is becoming. Wow. Because the whole of life is becoming. And if we see it like that, then we can keep walking day after day, knowing that each day we're becoming more. Yeah. Particularly if we give ourselves to becoming. Because I think, I think particularly in the current world, current climate, we, we feel like we have to achieve something. You know, there's a, there's a threshold. You know, if we get to that, then we are. Yeah. And even, even the, the phrase that's often quoted for people who really want to make a difference, you know, the one that's phrase that's attributed to Gandhi, um, be the change you want to see. Mm-hmm. As I as I worked with that phrase, which I u- had used for a long time, and in fact became was going to be the court the third part of the book. As I worked with it, and I guess in the midst of everything I was also going through, um, and what I was seeing others going through, I I realised that almost saying "be the change" was too big. Mm. You know, it was it was. I can only do this when I've reached a certain level or if everything's okay. Whereas becoming, it, it's about saying, where am I now? But actually, where am I leaning into? Yeah. Where, where am I heading to? So, and this idea that there's always room for more, there's always room oh, for growth, no matter where you start from. Yeah, absolutely. And becoming, becoming is what we will do right until the day we die. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a lovely way to frame it, that you can look at your lifespan, therefore, as something that, yeah, you do, you can step into. And it just brings that that sort of optimism, doesn't it? That, you know, there's no finite goal setting. And when we get there, we'll be happy. It's, it's about living in the moment, which is something you've clearly embraced yourself. And, and I, I love the way that such a strong part of your story, Sue, is is how leaning into that creativity, how leaning into your output has really been a source of strength to get you through some of those very challenging times that you faced. And you're kind of embodying that idea of just becoming. Yeah, we just evolve. It's an evolution. Beautiful stuff. So for anyone who's been listening to this and wants to find out more about Quiet Disruptors, um, where, can they, where can they find the book? The best place to find about all things Quiet Disruptors is the website. So quietdisruptors.com both has okay. um, information about the book, which is available on Amazon anywhere. So it's available as, as print version and, um, and Kindle. Um, they'll also find the manifesto um, and the manifesto translated into six languages. So um, you can find it in hopefully a language that might uh, 
might resonate more with you. And it's also the location of the daily blogs. So you can sign up. Oh, to, so you can subscribe and then, yeah, 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 yeah. And then you said there was an ebook. So, so, so. Well, do you remember I said I had to take stuff out? Right. <laughs> and one of, one of, one of the threads that I had put in an earlier version of the book was um, a section at the end of each part giving kind of hints and tips for people who were um, who might be working with quiet disruptors, helping to encourage them. So that might be people who are managers, leaders, coaches, trainers, HR people, and so on. And I realized I just needed to pull all of that out. So I've created a separate ebook, which is available. It's on the website. You can download it on the website. It, it's really a companion. It's not a long book, but it's a companion to the main book. And it, it offers it offers some insights, um, some things to think about, about how you as a people person, people professional might create, help create and support space for people who are quite disruptors in your midst so that actually they can bring all of their insights and their creativity and their capability so that they can do what they're good at, which is creating change without shouting. Gosh, so it's more like a sort of resource kit or a yeah, a practical toolbox, if you like, to accompany, accompany the book. Oh, well, I shall definitely be digging into that a bit further myself. But in the meantime, I'd just like to thank you for your time, for joining us and for sharing so beautifully a little bit of your part of the world. Um, you, you paint such a lovely picture of that valley down there in, in Wales. And yeah, I think it's um, it's so powerful the way you've really brought it to life with this daily blog, you know, through the photographs, through those words and how they just come to you in the moment. So thank you for being with me, Sue, and, um, and good luck with, with becoming and that next evolution. Thank you indeed, Kat. It's been a real pleasure talking with you. thought-provoking conversation, I hope you'll agree. Facing a diagnosis of breast cancer must be beyond hard and the courage and resilience that Sue has shown in not only overcoming that huge challenge, but using it as a catalyst for finding the deep sense of appreciation she shows and how to put that work out into the world in a way that helps others find their own voice, for me, is just incredible. I also want to thank Sue for introducing me to Gungo and that song Beautiful Things, which is so beautiful in itself, and a call to us all to make beautiful things out of the dust. I wish I could serenade you with it here, but you can find it on Spotify on the playlist, and that in itself is a very beautiful thing, a list of music that has touched people's hearts. So instead, I'll leave you with the voice of Claudia Winkleman, who in her book Quite has written one of the most powerful tributes to nursing I think I've ever heard. Thank you so, so much for being here. And if you've been inspired by this episode, then please do share it with someone you think who might enjoy it too. And one final thank you to everyone who's contributed so generously to the Fund for Choose Love, helping refugees when they need it most and showing us the power of what we can achieve when we work together. 
I really do appreciate you. So thank you. Nurses. I have been lucky, let's be honest, incredibly lucky, and of that I have no doubt. However, there have been moments in my life, I think there have been those moments in all our lives, the most terrifying, the most confusing, the most discombobulating, that have led me to believe that the greatest people who walk the earth are nurses. They are kind, they are clever, they work incredibly hard. They are there to save us or to help us through it when saving is simply not possible. They do 12-hour shifts, they change the bedpans, insert the cannulas, the feeding tube and the drip. They take our temperature, measure our blood pressure and write down the vitals in a special book. They are the cool, calm voice in the corner of the room. They know when to leave families alone and they know when they are needed. They have a magical sixth sense and will enter and leave a room at exactly the right time. In a fog of panic and worry, they are the steady hand, the comforting touch. They arrive at work after a long commute. Ask any nurse who works in a large city. None of them can afford to live close by to the hospital. And they put on their uniform and are ready to help people who are going through something so raw, so serious and so important. They hold your hand when your child is going in for an operation. They hold your hand when the surgeon says there's bad news. They hold your hand when the doctor says the medication isn't working. They clean down the bed after an accident and don't comment. They'll help you out of bed when a shower is the best thing for you. They'll bring in an audiobook CD if they think it'll help the pain and they're happy to listen to the same trauma, the same how did this happen over and over and over again. They'll wait an extra half hour at the end of the day so they can see your test results. They'll make you laugh when it's time for the foul-tasting medicine. They'll sing Let It Go during the barrage of injections and they'll feel uncomfortable when you offer thanks. They'll tell you that it'll be okay when you know deep down it won't and they'll clear up your sick when you can't make it to the bathroom. They'll hang fairy lights when your daughter asks for them and they'll bring tuna sandwiches from the canteen at odd times of day. They'll get fresh water for a vase and they'll quell the rising panic. They'll walk to the operating theatre and will name the special anaesthetic helping Teddy and they'll make sure they tell you when she wakes up. They'll be by your side and they'll make everything better. They see you at your most vulnerable and are simply there to help. They have so many people to look after on the ward, but you know they'll always come back. They place the emergency button in your hand and they say it doesn't matter how many times you press it. They'll explain what morphine does and why she might shout and fight and they'll cut the cake when your hands are shaking too much at the end of the day. They'll make up your bed and say it could be worse. They'll read her a story when you have to make a call. They'll pick you up and put you and your family back together again. They are our Mona Lisa. They are our everything. Thank you so much for listening. There are almost a million podcasts out there to choose from, so I really appreciate you for choosing this one and spending your valuable time with me today. If you found it helpful, I would be truly grateful if you would rate and review it as it helps others to find us. And if you haven't already, you can hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts to be sure of getting every episode sent to you. You can find all the resources we talk about and more about my guests in the show notes over at collectivewisdom.podbean.com or you can find me on Instagram at collectivewisdompod where I'd love to hear any feedback, suggestions for new guests or comments that you have. I'd love to hear from you. 
And if you're interested to know more about how my coaching can help you, you can find more about that on my website at catpreston.com. Thank you so much for joining me.